Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact. Each month, we bring together leading figures from within and around local government to discuss the sector's future. If you enjoy listening to The Local Authority, hit the subscribe button to have new episodes delivered to your device each month. You can share this podcast with your colleagues by going to lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast from Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact. I'm Sarah Kalkin, the LGC editor. The theme of this podcast is one of change, how councils can change their area and themselves for the better. And nothing has the potential to bring more change than a new Prime Minister. Today, we'll be exploring what Liz Truss and her administration will mean for local government, including the new team at DLUC, or the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, to give it its full name. To discuss this, I'm joined by Abby Brown, Conservative Leader of Stoke-on-Trent City Council and Chair of the LGA's Innovation and Improvement Board, Chris Reid, Leader of Rotherham Metropolitan Borough Council, Tony Travers from the London School of Economics, where he's Director of LSE London, and also, I should say, an LGC columnist, and Claire Hazelgrove, Community and Political Engagement Director at TPX Impact. So, to start with, um, can I ask you all perhaps to give your initial impressions of, of Liz Trust and the new administration? Um, perhaps you give me three words to describe your first impressions. And um, Tony, can I start with you? Well, potential ideological change. Uh, despite the fact the Conservatives have been in effect in power now for 12 years and certainly had the top offices of state, Prime Minister in particular, for that period, they clearly are set upon a, a quite a significant change, which involves, you know, a realisation that growth is subtrend and that uh, there needs to be radical changes to the economy, which could affect quite a range of issues that will impact on local government, not least of which is tax policy, spending policy and the approach to levelling up. Thank you, Tony. Um, Abby, what, what would your three words be? So um, I guess there's probably an element of tone with this. It will either be still levelling up or still levelling up. Um, I, I think it's probably fairly self-explanatory, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, and Chris? Oh, so um, I suppose I'm, I'm more fearful than my uh, my colleagues. So my, my three words will be big trouble ahead. I think we're we're heading into big storm clouds as a country we had some progress over the last few years, I think, with Michael Gove in particular, um, leading DLUC, um, real worries for councils. I'm hearing real fear from people um, in the sector now uh, in a way that I wasn't sort of 12, 24 months ago. Claire? My three are continuity with change. So I think uh, sort of straddling some of what others have said there, uh, I think given that Simon Clark has held relevant roles in government before, including within a former version of the same department, I think we'll see some continuity there fairly inevitably. Um, but again, it is, you know, he'll want to stamp his own, you know, make his own mark on the uh, department as well. We have new junior ministers appointed very recently as well. So we're yet to see what that looks like. 
Um, my prediction, dare I say, which is a bold move in politics, I know, um, is that the department won't see another name change. So I might be wrong, <laughs> even by the time this comes out, but I think that'd be an element of the continuity that we see by way of signalling that there'll be some consistency from what we've seen uh, in more recent years. But I could be very wrong. I think it's important to say, given the nature of politics and um, that things can change very quickly, not least as we're, I think, coming out of a period of national mourning, there now seems to be a, um, a lot of activity being crammed into um, a short space of time. So we, we are recording this the day before the mini-budget. So we, we're just hearing speculation at the moment about some parts of the country becoming parts of investment zone. Um, just this afternoon, we've had news that there's going to be five, 500 million adult social care discharge fund, although details on exactly how that will work still thin on the ground. Um, this is speculation this morning that the levelling up and regeneration bill could be gutted. But then we've also had confirmation today that Dehana Davison has been confirmed as levelling up minister. So um, something around levelling up is, is going to continue. I mean, Abby, Stoke-on-Trent describes itself as a litmus test for levelling up. Um, can you tell us what's going on? What should we expect on this agenda? Well, gosh, I think if I uh, knew the answer to that, I'd probably be writing the numbers down for the lottery as well on um, on Saturday, really. <laughs> I, th- I think at the moment, you know, we're all really grateful um, for a bit of certainty at the moment. Um, obviously, you know, we have gone through the period of mourning. That is really difficult and nobody expects, particularly in light of the fact we've had a change of prime minister for her to have been able to announce things perhaps in the way that ordinarily would have been the case. But I think it has uh, been a period of uncertainty, not knowing which ministers did which, if not least for the fact that clearly I've not been the only local authority leader who's been busy writing letters to people over the last week too. But I think, you know, that that's naturally led to perhaps an element of um, instability and a little bit of caution, hasn't it? Because we know who's in place, but we they don't know and we don't know what they're doing. And that's not what we're used to. We're used to being told names, being told jobs, and we like that level of stability. So I think there's an element, isn't there, that what's happening at the moment is a reflection of the period of mourning um, and clearly everything that the Prime Minister's gone through in her first week, but also, uh, I guess, maybe this overriding sense of change that, that although, as somebody else commented, we have um, seen a degree of continuity around names, there is clearly going to be a slightly different agenda here, isn't there, around this, and we're still feeling our way through it. So I guess uh, I'm going to be the optimist because uh, I I tend to be, um, and I hope that now we've had um, those roles and responsibilities start to be laid out to us. We've had the House of Lords uh, ministerial appointments made to now that maybe, maybe from Monday, we're going to go back to a little bit of um, what we're all used to and uh, not quite business as usual, but... uh, maybe we'll start to return back to what we saw before in terms of patterns of how things work. And Chris, for you on the future of levelling up, do you expect this this government to continue as the predecessor or are we expecting to see some change? I'm expecting there to be changes in terms of tone and the language that they use around it. It feels to me that already... Um, Liz Truss's government is is not using the language around levelling up um, in the same way that, that Boris Johnson's government did. And that was an overt pitch to kind of red wall seats, the places that Abby and I uh, represent. Um, so in that sense, I'm expecting a, a change of tone around it. 
Um, I have relatively low expectations of what that actually meant in the first place. Um, so we've done fairly well out of leveling up fund, for example, capital investment program um, for the borough. I'm not expecting any great changes around those. I'll be really disappointed if the government backtracks on some of those commitments. So some of that substance, I think, will actually remain the same as it comes through. Simon Clark's appointment gives me some hope that Northern Voices will continue to be heard at the heart of government. Um, but other than that, I would I would echo what others have said about the, the level of uncertainty at the moment. We just don't know whether this is going to be a big deregulating government uh, which looks to shrink the state as we've known it, or whether it is a government that is going to make big, bold moves as they are doing on energy prices, for example, uh, and what that would mean for local government. Yeah, thank you. I think... As you, as you said, we've just had a summer where lots of councils are putting levelling up fund bids. It would Surely they couldn't possibly turn around and say, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, I don't know. Tony, where do you see levelling up going next? Well, I mean, I think as Chris has just said, I mean, we've heard rather less. It's not sort of, it's not been put quite at the shop, at the front of the shop window in ministerial statements thus far which doesn't mean the government won't still be committed to it. But I, I, I get the impact that the government has quite a substantial and that means like into a sort of ideological move on from the Boris Johnson, what you call them, the Johnson May Cameron approach, if I can lump them all together. Because I do think that Liz Truss, what's interesting is in the first uh, short period she's been prime minister, She's given a very strong sense that things are going to be different. She doesn't care if she's a bit unpopular by delivering them. And that will include a you know a move to a uh, lower tax, possibly small state country, aiming off for the huge increase in the size of the state for the energy package temporarily. And, uh, you know, perhaps changes to the benefit system, fracking, that's gone down badly in some parts of Parliament today. But a general approach to a kind of galvanising the economy, including, I suspect, the economy of London and the South East as part of a bigger effort to get Britain growing again. Now, it might work, but, you know, there are elements of Mrs Thatcher meets the Heath Barber boom about all of this. Uh, and it might work, but the Heath Barber boom was less successful in the early 70s. So it's, it's a, I do think it's a moment of change in British politics, and perhaps a bigger one sometimes than when you get a change of government. I mean, a change of government from one party to another. Yeah, certainly her, she was presented during the contest as, as you mentioned, Claire, the continuity candidate, but she does seem to be doing everything in her, her gift to, to draw a line. I mean, in terms of levelling up, do, do you see it continuing as, as before, Claire, or...? Yeah, I think some elements of it likely will do, as others have said as well. I mean, those big programmes that organisations, councils have already been bidding for over the summer, it would be quite remarkable. I mean, they could, but it would be quite remarkable to pull that funding or change that right now at this stage. I think big things like county deals, devolution deals um, will continue. Again, the nature and quite shape of those will be be determined, but that's natural with this type of deal anyway. So I think those sort of landmark things will actually remain. So she and others in that department will be able to point to some continuity, some consistency, some conservative long-term delivery, which is one of the things that they will be challenged with uh, when you look at other things under the bonnet and the fact that we've now had six secretaries of state in this department in as many years 
We've now had, I think, we're on to our 14th housing minister since 2010. And so that's just, you know, that's really difficult for the sector. It's really difficult for the civil service. It's really difficult for communities to be able to know what's coming next and to plan in terms of long-term financial planning, in terms of knowing exactly this discussion we're having to have today, what's the priority going to be? And the fact that if we had this conversation a year ago, we'd be sat here saying, what does levelling up mean? And we sort of are again now, I think says a lot about the challenges is that, you know, particularly also, you know, we've got leaders on this call, but frontline service workers and people who use those services, how they might be feeling uh, as well around that uncertainty, I think is something that I hope those in coming into these new posts will be at least mindful of. And um, one thing, though, to say is I think some of those more junior ministers that have been uh, announced in the last few days, lots of them do have experience within local government. So that will be interesting to see what impact that has. We don't know yet. We've not seen anything come out from the department at all uh, during this morning period, as as you say. Um, And hopefully that will help uh, make up for some of the fact that obviously Simon Clark, I mentioned at the start, has some relevant government experience in certain departments, but he's not from local government. So his experience uh, is more theoretical, is more academic. And so it'll be interesting to see how those uh, former practitioners influence the shape of what it means in the department. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, just on your point there. So Baroness Scott, um, who is the deluxe representative in the Lords, um, she was leader of Wiltshire for a a number of years and was very well respected as well. Lee Rowley, the new housing minister, was a former councillor on Westminster City Council. Andrew Stevenson, um, whose portfolio we don't quite know yet, but he he was on Macclesfield Council. So yeah, we do do have some of that local government experience in, in there. I mean, um, Chris, do you think that makes a difference? I think it can make a difference. Um, I, I suppose the cynical part of me thinks there are plenty of ex-councillors in Westminster and it's relatively straightforward to put them into... Um, what what might be renamed the Department for Local Government if Claire's wrong in her uh, prediction. Um, I don't necessarily know that that gives them the clout. It gives them some insight, it gives them some instincts and way around the sector and that's, you know, that's always to be welcomed. It makes those conversations easier, of course. But actually what will be important is what comes out of Treasury. Treasury is going to drive whether local government is um, a central part of the plan or not, whether it is um, adequately resourced or not. There's a reason that devolution came from George Osborne. Um, so I, I think questions will, will lie around the, the centre of government. And, and I don't know where Kwasi Kwarteng will come out on those kind of questions. Um, I'm sure he has a, a, a view that will emerge, um, hopefully over the course of the next few days and weeks. But it, it feels to me that there is still massive uncertainty around that at the moment. Can I just, I mean, just to add, uh, Sarah, I mean, I think uh, it's a risk of, I'm certainly, uh, don't know the long-term ambitions of either of the council leaders in this court in this um, discussion, but I mean I think council leaders who go into parliament generally end up in one of two places: they either become big supporters of local government and do their best for it, or they think local government's slightly gone to the dogs since it was in their time. And I'm not going to name any names, but they, that that seems to be how it works. Sure. That's got a, got some smiles. I'm glad about that. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Common sense that it was all better in the past. Though. I think that's <laughs> absolutely true, yes. They, they also, also, I think someone alluded to this already, but quite good representation in the sort of red wall seats. Simon Clark himself, um, Dehana Davison, Bishop Auckland, which was a, a real sort of 
um, bellwether at the, at the last election. I mean, does does that help us? Does that make a difference, Abby? Um, I I think so. Um, I, I guess I would say, you know, in a, in a way, kind of in response to Tony's question, it's sad that you think nobody would want to necessarily just enjoy being a council leader. I certainly do. I, who'd want to be an MP? No, Abby, I think it's a better <laughs> job. I think you're yeah. much better off as council leaders with much more power, by the way, than your average backbench of me. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So so I guess then, you know, you, re- you reflect on perhaps the fact that they've been... Um, there is more northern MPs or uh, MPs from red wall areas to say, you know, they do come with that element of experience of being in slightly different places, but equally it does need to be rounded, doesn't it, within that wider bit of, I suppose, what, what they are doing within that. Um, you know, you need to be ensuring that you are representing everywhere. You know, that, that's one of the great challenges often of being the, the leader of a council, isn't it? You can't all be about your ward and the, and your residents who phone you. Um, and, you know, we we all hope, don't we, that MPs continue to behave in that way too. So, so yes, I think it is helpful that there is a, a better reflection, perhaps, of the, of the makeup of the country within government. But equally, I think... There also needs to be a reflection of of what life is like in general, too. Perhaps also, I'm not, and that's not a comment that that maybe there isn't, but I do think it is about being being rounded, isn't it, too, as a government in terms of experience, age, and all sorts of different things. You know, I, th- I think the point about uh, councils and councillors is, is interesting. You know, Liz Truss clearly didn't enjoy your time on planning, did she? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, she made reference to that a number of times. Her time as a, a councillor in Greenwich on the planning committee um, during the leadership contest. Um, so Simon Clark, so it's his second time in the department. He was um, Minister for Local Growth, I think it was, before. Um, must have been 2020, I think, wasn't it? Um, when he, he kind of set in train a big wave of reorganisation discussions in two-tier areas um, he he was quite bold in saying no devolution without reorganisation and then he abruptly left for personal reasons and that all died down again. I mean, Tony, do you think we could see him look to revisit that agenda? I'm not sure. I mean, he was also Chief Secretary to the Treasury. I mean, given that the Treasury orthodoxy is now seen as something to be... Um, overwhelmed, whatever the right word is, changed... Um, and I assume he's now signed up to that idea. Um, I, I think that, I mean, it'll be interesting to see having having a Secretary of State who's from uh, the north of England, and actually a fair number of the ministers are from the Midlands and the north. Um, of course, um, Jake Berry is on, stays on as a minister without portfolio in a senior position in government. So, but, but actually, if you look back over history, not just this government, any government, where ministers and prime ministers come from rarely affects the way they govern for the whole country. I mean, you know, you can have an argument whether Britain's London or South East centric, uh, but I wouldn't argue that leaders and prime ministers who have constituencies a long way from London are any more or less likely to do that than anywhere else. I think it's a it's a sort of... Um, you know, I was struck in, I don't want to take us off on a kind of s- a tangent, but I've written this for LGC in the last few days. One of the things that most was intriguing for me about the Queen is that she did manage to visit and give the impression of actually being a part of the whole of the United Kingdom. 
in a way that I think governments of all parties find much more difficult. Uh, now, we could discuss that on another day for other reasons. So I think that, you know, whether Simon Clark will go along with, he'll have to go along with the new Treasury orthodoxy, and that would be whatever Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss decide. And I think they are quite close ideologically. I think they think similarly about these things. So I think, um, you know, he will work with them because they're in control, is my guess. Sure. And just on that, that new Treasury orthodoxy, what do you think that means for local government funding and, and finance? I mean, there appears well, to be no think, limit to borrowing now. So it, could that mean more funding? For- well, you know, I mean, the difficulty is the, the our old friend, the magic money tree, uh, which um, has proved amazingly fruitful as autumn arrives again. Um, you know, but a lot of that extra money is going to go to um, rightly you know, dealing with the energy crisis. And separately, there'll be tax cuts. Add those together, one's a plus and one's a minus, you end up with a big addition to public borrowing. And I'm afraid I don't see that then leaving much money free for local government beyond what we already kind of know. So, you know, I don't think this bodes brilliantly for local government, given all the other pressures on public finance. Sure. And... Abby, do you, do you have a view on what we might see happen to local government finance? I mean, we've obviously been waiting for a fair funding review for so many years. I've lost count now and, and um, <laughs> reform to business rates. Do you think this new so, review administration might look again at the, those issues? Um, I, I guess, again, you know, I am a bit of an optimist. We've talked about Simon Clark's history um, in uh, MHCLG originally, then as Tony says, going to Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Um, and, you know, in my relatively limited experience of engaging with government ministers, you know, actually I found it much easier to talk to Chief Secretary to the Treasury, um, who's often more influential than perhaps people would realise. So, you know, I, I guess there's an element here for me that, um, you know, Simon has got the practical understanding from um, his previous role, but equally the financial um background as well from his time in HMT that, that I hope there is perhaps a more sympathetic ear for us there but nonetheless you know I think there is then the impetus on us ourselves as a sector to ensure that we continue to present ourselves in that way um, it, it's really easy to completely plead poverty but equally on the other hand um, you know we also need to get ourselves together in terms of presenting how we can make a difference too you know I love being a leader of the council and that's why I don't want to be an MP because actually I can really make a difference. And I know that's the same for all of my colleagues, regardless of of party, geography or or anything else, really. You enter this because you want to make a real practical difference for people. And I think, you know, hopefully in Simon, um, we've got somebody who we can start to make inroads in with that because, you know, yeah, he has returned to somewhere where he has had a level of understanding previously. Now, of course, whether that goes to the depths of giving us all the cash that we would all really like, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I guess, again, you know, I, I'm optimistic. What about you, Chris? Are you optimistic? So, so, I, so I agreed with everything that Abby said right up to the bit where she was optimistic at, at the end. <laughs> I thought it all sounded very familiar right up until that moment. Um uh, so I'm not, although I, I kind of, I guess I'm, I'm pinning my hopes such as I have them on, on Simon Clark's shoulders on this. I thought Tony's analysis of where um, public spending as a whole will be sounds exactly right to me. 
um, it comes at a time when the whole of the public sector are facing um, challenges around inflation um, bills. We'll wait and see quite what the detail of the, the energy announcement from Jacob Rees-Mogg means for us um, over the coming days and weeks. Um, we have more councils now with capitalisation directives, I think, than ever before because they've just run out of their day-to-day expenditure. Uh, we probably have more councils in intervention now than, than we've ever had before. In my own backyard, um, prior to the energy announcement this week, we were reporting uh, an additional £3 million pressure on our budget this year just for energy bills, an additional million pounds on inflation over and above um, what we'd already planned into our forecasts. Um, the national pay settlement cost us £6.5 million pounds a year this year, if agreed as it is. If it's not agreed, that number is only going to get bigger pushing us to a position where we're looking at £15 million plus overspend this year in year. Now, we can't survive many years of £15 plus million pounds overspends. Our reserves have been, uh, long since dwindled um, in terms of that challenge. And I don't believe that Rotherham is you know, uniquely badly placed. I think there are places in, in worse positions than we are, places in better positions, I'm sure, than, um, than we are. So, I mean, I agree with Abby about um, the need for us to present the best case and to demonstrate the difference that we make in our communities. This isn't just money to bail out councils. It's money to deliver services that transform people's lives. But I also think there needs to be um, a real understanding in government that if they don't step up and meet that funding gap, then there will be big holes appear in places across the country very quickly. And I think that's a really serious threat. My worry is that we are a long way down the political pecking order. Once hospitals have been sorted out and GPs have been sorted out and the police have been sorted out and schools have been sorted out, what's left in the coffers for councils is a real concern for me. Yeah, Claire, TPX works with lots of different councils. Does that picture Chris describes sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, not much certainty right now as to what's coming down the line, but a general consensus that things are going to be hard. You know, as Chris said there, the energy bills and of themselves are, are troubling. And I think one thing that, you know, I would hope may change about a renewed levelling up agenda is actually seeing some of these challenges in a more of a holistic 360 way. Because as Chris says there, you know, it can't be a case of local government coming down the pecking order after things like hospitals and so on. We've got to start seeing places as a whole. And this is one of my slight concerns right now is that uh, if there were changes that didn't actually support things like community infrastructure and so on, you know, those are the types of really important pieces of fabric within a place. If they can't afford, you know, community organisations to keep their doors open anymore, and if they're not being bailed out, then how on earth is the government going to meet its goals that is set around pride of place and so on and building on the positive sort of community uh, resilience that we saw in the pandemic and beyond. I think there's a real challenge here. And my one thing is I just I really hope that we see something really indicative and consistent come out from the department around this. So those organisations which are vital sort of beyond the, the governmental sphere will know that support is there and that they are still considered important. I do think people like Dehenna Davison will likely be advocates of things like that. And um, another thought of mine also is her appointment makes me wonder if they're not actually already getting on pre-election footing by ensuring you've got voices like that in there, uh, which is intriguing. So I think what we're going to start seeing in terms of an agenda is one that is looking forward to the next election even more than we have seen in like the last year or so. So I'll be intrigued as to what's in there. And that I try and remain optimistic that 
whether it's because of that or something else that they will be thinking about the community side of it, because that is really important to councils as well as it is to places and to communities as a whole. Can, can I just add, which is that because I, I think this class points to something really interesting, which others have, have already touched on, which is I think actually Michael Gove is a, a very interesting and unusual minister. He knows how to um, he knows what policy is. He knows how to use the government machine. He managed to produce a white paper. And actually, that was pretty good, given everything else that was going on at the time. He also got, and the white paper was very good at, the, the idea that the places we all live in matter to us. Town centres, what the streets look like, whether they're clean, whether they're safe, all of that stuff. And I think, you know, it was well articulated in that document. And though I'm critical of the large, as it's LGC, of the large number of little pots of cash, the, the logic of... um you know, spending money, uh, be it the levelling up fund or the towns fund or whatever, on trying to improve the main streets and some of the smaller streets that towns around the country was kind of onto something. Now, question, given that there is a lot of criticism of the scale of these, the numbers of grants, and it looks to me as if the new government probably more interested in sort of catalytic tax cuts and enterprise zones, whether we see a shift of policy away from pots of cash to regenerate Stoke-on-Trent or Rotherham, but towards tax breaks to kind of attract people in. Now, you know, I speak with due deference to the leaders of these councils sitting in front of me, but I do, if everything I've heard so far suggests there might be a move in that direction. But again, we'll be proved wrong. I'll be proved wrong soon enough, as with everything else I ever predict. <laughs> Chris, Abby, is there any appetite for powers to cut taxes in your, your area? And, and do you think that would work to generate growth? So um, I would say yes. So uh, we've had a, an enterprise zone for the last seven years. Um, and um, I... It's something I'm really passionate about, probably because someone told me, firstly, we would never secure one. You know, Stoke-on-Trent wasn't the right sort of place that would make a difference. Um, And then once we had secured it, that it wouldn't be successful because some of those tools wouldn't be things that would make a difference. And actually, to a degree, they were right. We had to put some money behind it ourselves. We had to have a whole load of enthusiasm, but that was a bit I brought, um, to make it a success. So I, I think that did demonstrate that actually with the right economic conditions, you can start to make a difference around it. But then Stoke-on-Trent is not the same as other places. So, you know, it worked for us. That's not to say it's going to work for other places. I think the other side, of course, of the point that Tony makes is, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, have said this a number of times in the sector press, that actually the continual bidding for small pots is incredibly tiring. Um, It's resource intensive. And actually, why can't my place just be great because it's my place? Why does my place have to get the money because it's better than Chrissy's place? You know, when both of our places are great, you know, so, so, you know, that, that's the other side of it, isn't it? In a way that if we, if we want the tax breaks, then we're acknowledging that we didn't like the beauty contests. Um, Otherwise you've got to find somewhere in the middle, haven't you? But I think, you know, the, the next bit around the tax breaks is is then back to my point around the enterprise. And that worked for us because we were able, to, we had the particular uh, brownfield sites that we were able to utilise. We put some cash behind it as an authority and we came up with a really strong kind of narrative 
around why that was right for us. But that isn't to say that would be right for everyone. And and I guess the role of people like Chris and I is to then persuade the government that actually if that's what they want to do, then how do you make that work for Stoke-on-Trent or for Rotherham on that on that basis? Hey, Chris, I saw you nodding there. I mean, is, is there an appetite for anything like that in Rotherham, which I should say is already part of a devolution deal with South Yorkshire yeah, yeah, as well? Yeah. Indeed, yes, part of the, the South Yorkshire devolution deal. And, and similarly, we've had um, sort of various iterations of enterprise zones going back for numerous years as part of kind of post-coalfield regeneration, I suppose, in, in Rotherham. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure that that's what's made the difference. It perhaps helps to coalesce some, some people and some resources around a, a particular location, but I'm not particularly sure the cash incentives have, have been what's made the difference. What do you think has made the difference then? Good public sector, private, uh, public private partnerships, um, putting the, the infrastructure in place, putting highways in place, putting, um, business startup support in place, um, co-locating public sector bodies alongside private sector investors. Those are the things that have given us, um, given us good results in, in the areas where, where we've been able to get them. I mean, in response to your earlier question, Sarah, should, should local authorities have options around this stuff? Yeah, absolutely they should. Um, if it is that you can bring in more investment by making changes to your local regulatory regime, then I don't see why local council should be prevented from doing that. But what we saw this week was uh, an ask that went round, I think, 40 places in the country, certainly came into the South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority, and said, you know, within 24 hours, please tell us if you'd like, if you're interested in having an enterprise zone. Well, I think basically everyone will have said we are interested because <laughs> it's the only way of keeping it on the table. But actually, the more I see the detail, the more I'm filled with dread about quite what that means. Um, so, so it's really difficult, isn't it? If we're not treated with respect to serious partners around the table to make decisions about, um, what's the right thing for our, for our places. And if we do get into a situation where where um, macroeconomic policy is driven by deregulation, I think that ends badly. It's part of the reason why I sit here as a Labour leader is I think that ends badly. Um, and, and I would want to approach that with caution then. It's clear that the, the Treasury under its new ownership has been looking at quite radical idea you can tell this from what's leaked into the press in order not to get anywhere. But, you know, they've they've clearly been looking at rather unusually radical things, certainly unusually radical since the days of uh, George Brown rather than Gordon Brown, uh, you know, like uh, differential tax rates and not just the kind we've seen with business rates and enterprise zones, but actually differential income tax rates. Never going to work. Differential national insurance rates has been, I think, has been tried before. It might be more, it's a slight step beyond just different business rate regimes. So clearly they are trying to think radically, but it, but it does come down, as I've already said too often already, to a, a slightly, a, quite a different intellectual approach, which boils down to what can we do to give areas with these new kind of enterprise zones more likelihood that they will attract um, businesses and build up the private sector. But at the same time, I think the stuff about cutting, um, if it happens, stamp duty and taking the cap off bankers' bonuses looks like sort of zhushing up the economy of London and the southeast at the same time. And that would be a very different approach. And it's consistent with all we know from their past writings about this trust and quasi-quartings approach. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
we're fast running out of time. So can, can we come on to social care, which um, th- there's big reforms in train um, begun by Boris Johnson's administration. And I know a lot of councils are concerned about the cost of these reforms and whether they're going to be fully funded. We've then had confirmation today that the national insurance increase um, is going to be re- reversed. Um, although Quasicuateng has committed that the 13 billion that that was due to raise will still be made available to health and social care. Liz Trust during the leadership contest said more of that would go to social care than health. I mean, do we, do we believe this is, is this going to happen? Um, Abby, did you want to come in on that? The devil is always in the detail in these uh, very broad announcements, isn't it? And and I think, again, to, to go back to comments made earlier, it's around the level of understanding. You know, I, I'm always um, always struck um, often that what we do as local authorities is not necessarily widely understood, even by government sometimes. So, um, you know, do they understand enough around the challenges that we have, particularly around adult social care, where it links into into the health system and what those burdens look like in a very real way um, from our point of view, not necessarily from the very broad hospital point of view, perhaps. Um, so so I guess ultimately it will come down to the detail around this, to how the money is allocated and to whether really truly government has an understanding of what is causing the pressure within the system at the moment. And then, you know, as, as we talked about um, in a way, how that applies to different places um, across different geographies, but also different types of councils and the challenges that, that they've got within the current cost of living challenge, really. Yeah. T- Tony, what, what's your take on what happens with adult social care and funding? Well, I mean, if there's a bit of ex- some extra money to try to reduce, um, you know, or to make it easier for people to leave hospital to go back into the social, the adult social care sector. I mean, that's good, but it's not a solution to a long-term problem. And we've got a whole range of plates spinning here. One is how much people pay uh, for social care. Then as related to that is how much does that affect how much local government income, that, how much income local government gets. Then there's a third issue, which how much can council tax bear? How much does the Better Care Fund bring in? What's the extra money coming in from? So this is very complicated stuff, but it doesn't add up to a long-term solution. And I'm afraid to say, this is a non-political political remark, the problems that are now so so difficult and which are affecting the NHS's capacity to function have their origins in the sharp reduction to local government spending between 2010 and 2015. That's, I'm afraid, it's an unintended consequence. Nobody decided it should, it should be like this, but this is what's happened. So we're, we're still, I'm afraid, no further forward with the long-term solution to this challenge, which, by the way, is going to require either people in the care sector being paid substantially more, question, where will the money for that come from, or a radical change to visas and immigration policy, complicated, and so on. So there's a, you know, and, and Liz Truss's government has got a very, very long list of things, or deep list in its intray, of which this is a profoundly important one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, I think we are fast running out of time. Um, and what's kind of coming through quite strongly is we're looking at what could be potentially much more radical administration. 
So I said, so given that, and I'm springing this on you, so apologies, but given that, do you have a sort of most radical policy that would be top of your wish list um, for local government? You know, given you, we may have more of an audience than you've had um, for a number of years for it. Um, Chris? So off the top of my head, what I would say would be give us a guarantee in law about the share of government expenditure that will come directly to councils. That would give us funding certainty for the long term and we'd know where we would stand with that. And actually a lot of, if you got set that at the right level at the right rate and just made that part of the way that government in all its forms works in Britain, that, that would set us a long way on our way. Sure, thank you. Um, Abby? Do you know what? I'm not sure I can top Chris's. That, that's, that's pretty good. So I'm going to go for something quite, quite local, if that's okay. So um, Stoke-on-Trent um, featured more than 33 times in the white paper. Um, and, you know, that, that's really great. But one of the things is I, I don't know the answer to. So it talks about um, cultural investment into Stoke-on-Trent. And I'm desperately seeking the answer to that and have been ever since the publication of the white paper. So, so for me, it would be, you know, pursuit of that what does that mean what what does what actually uh, i guess a question back to the government as opposed to me suggesting something or maybe the policies don't write things into documents if you're not prepared to tell people what they mean <laughs> i guess really sure sure and uh claire i was going to say long-term budgets which i do think is massively important that really does echo what chris is saying there because and maybe just sort of change it a little bit perhaps it's end the beauty contest and really invest in places consistently and, and allow them to make decisions there to uh, make them as great as they possibly can be. Sure. Tony? Well, uh, I mean, I'm going to echo to some degree. I do think that having three-year rolling spending settlements for local government is absolutely essential, as well as shrinking the number of bidding pots. I mean, I think we can't go on having year-by-year-by-year one-off settlements because it encourages enormous conservatism, rightly, amongst finance officials, which means less money is that much less money is available to spend, more gets put in reserves. I mean, the other thing I would say I hope that the new government will do, will begin to, and I'm not going to take sides in how this happened, but begin to sort out the UK's trading relations post-Brexit so that you know, particularly manufacturing production industries, many of which are in the north of England, Midlands and the north, can, you know, begin to build up their trading relationships on a more certain basis again. I think it's, we need to kind of, you know, get over Brexit, move on and start to have a sort of sensible pro-trade policy that works for all parts of the country. Sure, thank you. And thank you all for your time this afternoon been a great discussion and yeah getting a sense that this radicalism could be an opportunity but um not quite sure where the money is going to come from at, the, at this point so um, thank you all thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time on the local authority podcast this podcast was brought to you by lgc and tpx impact local government chronicle or lgc is the leading title for senior local government officers and the authoritative voice of the sector. To subscribe to LGC for full online and print access, go to lgcplus.com. 
TPX Impact is a change agency on a mission to build 21st century public sector institutions, which are catalysts for change in the internet and climate era to radically improve outcomes for communities. For more information, go to tpximpact.com. TPX Impact, transformation that matters.